Hello, hello, and welcome to Today in Grief podcast with Karen Monique. I, of course, am your host, Karen Monique, and I am super excited to have you here today. We are going to jump into today's episode, so go ahead, sit back, relax, and let's get into it. Views and expressions shared on this podcast are not a reflection of the host, employer, contracted workers, family, friends, or any kind of other social or political party or involvement. They are simply the views of the host on her own, as well as any research done and shared. Sources are typically cited within the show notes or announced within the actual episode itself. Some of the topics can be sensitive for children as well as adults. Grief is heavily expressed on this podcast. Grief is a main topic on this podcast and so many subtopics that come out of grief are also shared and expressed on this podcast. So please note that views and opinions are of the host's own discretion and do not reflect anyone else that they may know or anyone else that they may be associated with or organizations that they are affiliated with. And today's topic, I'm actually pretty excited to talk about, partly because a couple episodes ago, I gave you all my story, part one of my story around grieving my father, whom I actually don't remember. I didn't get to know him because he died uh, before I turned one. But today's episode is called Today in Grief you didn't fight to stay. And I have a super special guest who is going to share a bit about themselves and their relationship with their father. And one of the cool things is I had his wife on the podcast before. This is my bro, y'all. We went to school together. We've been rocking for years. So, you know, no stranger to me. And I'm super excited to introduce him to you all. So with that, I am going to jump into his bio. And let me tell y'all something. He did not hold me up. Okay. This bio is bioing. So I'm going to read it at a speed that feels okay, (laughs) but let's jump into that. So Stefan Hibbett is a passionate 35-year-old male hailing from the vibrant city of Detroit, Michigan. Okay, the D, because D, Detroit is a vibrant city. Come on. He is a devoted Christian. His life has been intertwined with the church from a young age, shaping his values and commitment to community service. Stefan's career in education and his unwavering dedication to uplifting his community stand as a testament to his character and drive. With a heart deeply rooted in his faith, Stefan's involvement in his church has been a consistent thread throughout his life. His genuine desire to make a positive impact led him to pursue a career in education where he found a platform to influence young minds and create meaningful change. Working as a consultant for the Children's Defense Fund, he has channeled his passion for education into advocating for the rights and well-being of children, ensuring that every child has access to quality education and a promising future. Come on, because it's so important, especially in today's time. One of Stefan's remarkable contributions has been his active participation in the Summer Literacy Program. He has taken the reins of this program multiple times, playing a pivotal role in bridging bridging educational gaps and fostering a love for learning among young students. His commitment to fostering literacy skills has undoubtedly touched the lives of many, setting them on a path towards success. 
Stefan's dedication doesn't stop within the classroom. He has extended his influence into the community, making a tangible impact in the lives of those around him. His recent transition into a leadership role at, the school, at a school in Inkster, Michigan, showcases his leadership abilities and his desire to create a positive educational environment. He understands that education is not limited to textbooks and classrooms. It's a holistic experience that shapes the future of individuals and communities. As a proud Spartan, Stefan takes pride in his education from Michigan State University, go green. This pride is a reflection of his commitment to excellence, teamwork, and continuous growth, qualities that define his approach to education and community leadership. His Spartan spirit infuses his work with a drive to push boundaries and achieve remarkable outcomes. Stefan's achievements in education have not gone unnoticed. He stands as a recipient of several awards and certifications in his field, a reflection of his dedication and innovative approach. These accolades are a testament to his commitment to improving educational experiences and outcomes for students, reinforcing his role as an agent of positive change. Outside of his professional life, Stefan finds joy and companionship in his personal life. He's been married to his wife, Ashley, for six fulfilling years. His partnership characterized by mutual support and shared values. Their family is completed by the presence of a loyal four-legged companion, his beloved dog. Stefan Hibbett's story is one of faith, education, and community impact. With his Spartan pride, unwavering commitment to education, and active engagement in the community, he continues to shape a brighter future for those around him. His journey stands as a testament to the transformative power of faith-driven ed dedication, educational advocacy, and a heart that beats for the betterment of others. Through his work as an educator, consultant, and community leader, he continues to inspire and uplift, leaving an, an indel I don't know this word, y'all. Leaving an indelible. <laughs> indelible. Okay, let me start that sentence over. Through his, because I'm not cutting that out. I'm going to leave that in there so y'all know that I'm not perfect, okay? Through his work as an educator, consultant, and community leader, he continues to inspire and uplift, leaving an indelible mark on the hearts and minds of everyone he encounters. Y'all, that was a mouthful, but come on to the educator and advocate, okay? Bro, I said, send me a bio. Bro said, say less. Well, I didn't know how long it had to be. You know, I didn't know what you wanted. So you... You gotta, you know, you gotta limit me because I put on a blazer in a minute. Hello. <laughs> you do, y'all. If you ever met Stefan in real life, Stefan is gonna dress for the occasion. He is gonna be prepared. And then Stefan do this thing where he crosses arm. Like he just has this stance too of like, what do you need? Like, like he is always there. I'm not even like as much as like I'm smiling and I'm laughing, but like he rises to every occasion. I don't care if it's a baby shower, a bridal shower, a christening, um, a funeral, whatever it is. It, Stefan got on his blazer. He has his arms prepared to serve. And um, I do really appreciate and value that about you. But that's what just popped in my head reading your bio of like, yo, this is definitely how he shows up. <laughs> every time I got to come correct. I got to come every correct every time well i definitely enjoy reading your bio um and i, I learned me a new word uh today <laughs> so thank you for educating me because i was like i don't know this word but it, it definitely is spelled just like it sounds <laughs> so i don't know why i was struggling but anyway thank you thank you thank you for being here today with me and i want to jump right into this so today's conversation is really going to be about your father i know and your relationship with him so i really want and i know that our listeners want to know 
like, can you just share, give a little space to your dad right now? Tell us a little bit about him, who he was, and uh, then we'll get into some more deeper, you know, some intimate questions uh, as we carry this conversation on. Um, well, first off, thank you, Kara, for having me. It is an honor and a privilege um, to be here. Um, just to talk about my dad is like, so this is one of the first public um, settings that I've even decided to, you know, open up and talk about him. Um, like I've talked to him, talked about him like in private with other people. Um, but my dad was an all, all, everything that I can say was my hero. Like he was one of the best people um, that I, I was ever able to meet. Um, he was one of the best people that I was ever able to, you know, experience and learn from. Um, and that learning was through a myriad of just everything, good times, bad times, mistakes, successes, just all of it. Um, Stephen Albert Hibbett was one of the, he was a man's man. Like he taught me how to change my own oil when I got my first car, 1994 Ford Escort, whoop, whoop, um, two door. It was the color of seafoam green. But that was, he taught me how to change that oil. He taught me, um, Wait, like, you bought a car in 94? Wasn't we like five? Well, no, it was a 1994. I got oh, the car. Oh, it was a 1994? Yeah. I was like, your no. daddy was letting you drive back in the <laughs> Listen, he'll let, he, he prepared and taught my sister and I, uh, mainly me, everything that we needed to be successful and to be able to navigate through our adult life um, by ourselves if if it just so happened to go that way. Um, so yeah, he, he was one of the best people that I ever was able to learn. I love it. I, I love to hear that. And I, I love, and I shared this on a couple of episodes ago, how I used to envy in some ways people who had relationships with their dad because I didn't have a choice, right? Like I just didn't have a choice. And I've learned in like the last like 15 years, kind of like as in my adult years of how to really appreciate the stories that people share, appreciate that like I still also had a really great life, even though it wasn't that, but I love hearing this stuff now about how the, there are a lot of good dads out there. There were a lot of good dads out there because I grew up hearing the opposite. I actually grew up hearing about a lot of dads who were absent, right? And that absolutely. kind of thing. So I, I absolutely love to hear that. And then life skills are so important. And I think especially now, I'm not gonna hold you up. Sometimes I learn how to do stuff just because it costs too much. And if nothing else, I can't I can't afford it. So I gotta do it myself. <laughs> right. Yeah. So to be able to have those life skills is amazing. So thank you for sharing that. And I heard you call him a man's man. Like that just, that gave so much rich power, I think, to his personality. And, and I can envision what you mean. I, I seeing him under the hood of a car, right? You know, that really, especially back in, back in the day, that, that really was like a thing. So thinking about that though, what was the relationship like between you and your father? Um, our relationship was very eclectic. And when I say when I say eclectic, I mean like it was good days, it was bad days. Um, like I said, my dad was my best friend, he was my hero. And of course, everyone wants to emulate. I think every boy wants to emulate their father, like at some certain point 
in their in their boyhood right um and being like growing up and coming into a teenager like you know having the thought process and being able to try to make our own decisions and try to do what we think is best um it was some kind of like pushback between my dad and I, um as well as just some personal things that were going on like amongst our immediate family right um so we kind of strayed away from one another but at the same time there was still a level of respect for my dad as well as like as me coming into my manhood as me becoming a young adult he respected me as well so it was never like to the point of disrespect um but it was also it was always a point of understanding if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah. so like we we see eye to eye we 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 can agree to disagree um and one of the things that i loved about my upbringing is is that even though <laughs> we were told to stay in the child's place um during those private times like like father-son moments my dad was able to um give me the autonomy and the privilege to like tell him if he was wrong for saying or thinking a certain way um i remember like when my great-grandfather passed his grandfather we were driving back from Indianapolis and we were talking about a certain topic and he was like, am I wrong? And I said, I'm sorry, but you are 150% wrong. And this is why. Um, and just being able to have that dialogue with amongst us in that car, like that's priceless because I would, I would never have that, you know, if it was, if I chose not to go with them or if we weren't on this terms or we weren't respectful of each other. So I think that's something that's very key in having that relationship. Yeah. And to even think about like having like having a black father that like it's rare that we can approach black parents and say you in know anything. you're wrong, right? In, in anything. anything. <laughs> in anything, really. But really like you know you're wrong, right? And so for you to be able to have that relationship and of course, like you said, with respect, with regard to respect or, you know, him actually asking you and you being able to be honest and not get shut down, because that's the other thing I think as adults. And even though I'm not a parent right now, when I ask my friends and I know they're going to tell me the truth, sometimes I still have to check myself because the truth ain't what I wanted to hear. But Absolutely. I'm grateful for the people who will tell me the truth because then I can correct behavior, right? Because that's where maturity and growth comes in, right? And then to be, so for you to have seen that at a young age, for you to have experienced that from somebody you respected, like you can carry that now into, into adulthood with you, right? And, and also recognize and understand the value because you said something powerful. I, I think we all heard stay in a child's place. I think we all have heard that. And the child now is to I be look, seen and not heard. That part. And now I look back like, I wish I could be in a child's place because adults, and, it's eclectic. Like you said, it have a good, has a good day and it's bad day. Yeah. But um, yeah, for sure. So my next question is, what do you think were the reasons that you believe your father wasn't always able to show up the way you wanted him to you've expressed how great you know your relationship was good when it was good but in those times when it really wasn't can you share a bit of, of that with us so my dad's nickname was heavy um and that was because he was um 
on the bowling team. Um, and he bowled throughout the week. Um, and one of the things that I can't really attribute it to is <laughs> I feel like my parents were too young to have a kid. Um, and, you know, it's kind of taboo to even say that because, you know, us millennials, we have been kids later in life, um, almost to the point of women is, women are having, <laughs> right, we just go be the rich aunties and uncle, but women are like, now they're being considered geriatric pregnant pregnancies, and that's like really taboo, and that's a real big topic of conversation, mm -hmm. but honestly, I feel like um, my parents had me, because I'm the eldest, when they were 23, and so as a 23-year-old man, I look back at myself as a 23-year-old, and I'm in, I'm in Lansing, Michigan, away at school, you know, I'm one of part of one of the best choirs in the state. Uh, <laughs> like I'm living my life. I'm moving and shaking and doing X, Y, and Z. If I would to even, if somebody, if a young woman would even came up to me and was like, um, Stephen, we're going to have a talk. Um, I'm late or you, I'm pregnant and you the daddy. That, that kind of spirals, you know, me, or it will spiral any 23-year-old, you know what I mean? Um, and just thinking about that, I'm just like, one of the reasons and attributes to where it was a big struggle um, is because they, he was too young. Um, and I call myself the prototype kid because I am the firstborn. And because a lot of stuff was worked out by the time my sister was born, it was like, she getting all the good stuff. You know what I mean? However, um, just with everything that I'm, I'm, cause I, I got, I got memories flooding my brain right now. So um, I'm kind of trying to funnel through to see which ones I want to share. <laughs> um, but with everything that has taken place with my dad and I, um, his mistakes is what ultimately led us to kind of be um, separated in a sense. Um, and it's not me being the judge, jury, and executioner and judging him, it was something in my mental capacity as a young child, as a young teenager, young man growing up, where I didn't understand uh, why you would gamble, uh, not like physically gambling money, but like why you would gamble uh, your family, in a sense, um, to, to do what you wanted to do. And so that's kind of where I, that's where I felt, like I felt, um, our relationship kind of strayed away or kind of was broken when he felt like I I hadn't lived my life yet. Because if you if you realize I'm 35 now, 35 minus 23 is 12. And that's I was a 12 year, I was a preteen at this time. I couldn't even imagine. Oh my God, I'm sorry. Couldn't even imagine having a 12 year old walking around in my house right now talking about that's my kid. Anyway, but um, but yeah. That's something that is, you just kind of have to think about, like where where were our parents in the time and space when they had us and how difficult could that have been? Because, and just, just to be perfectly honest, my father said when he found out that my mom was pregnant with me, like he was strung out on, on crack, like he was addicted to crack. So as soon as she told him, like he stopped smoking crack and he stopped dealing with drugs. 
uh, to a certain extent. So that is, that's one of the things that I kind of like attribute to him and I's relationship um, because he always said like, like you the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, how, if we got all of this, this, these disagreements or this contentions or whatever you want to call it. Um, but now I can really see hindsight 2020 that this was like, I probably was the thing that saved his life because he would have still been going down the same path and the same road. So. Yeah. And you bring up a very good point. Age does matter. And like, there are some mature 23 year olds, right? But not all 23 year olds are mature and especially to the point of having a kid. And then, you know, like you said, like we're, we're in our early thirties now and we have friends walking around with 13 year olds, 15 year olds, like, and it, it just feels, it feels wild in my mind a little bit. <laughs> uh, but I know that, I mean, these kids call me auntie and I'm like, don't call me auntie. Like I really be wanting you to, I be wanting to say I'm not auntie yet. Even though I am, I've been in their life since, all they like 20 <laughs> like some of my friends had kids in college hello and um uh, but it's like you said growing up with a baby right those those things of like being have you you do have to make a choice as a parent a lot of times am i going to give up some of the the leisures i have some of the things that i love if you want to be a really good parent so that i can be here for my child right and that's that's tough and but but the him choosing, making a decision to leave drugs alone is a big deal, right? You know, huge. Uh, he, that's a huge deal. And it just, you just keep reminding me, I'm going back to the episode that I recorded on my dad and my dad was addicted to drugs as well. And um, to the point though, where it ended up being a part of his demise. And um, a lot of that generation, we find out drugs were heavily just like a part of their community, a part of their lifestyles. Like I didn't realize how many of our parents, our godparents, our aunts, our uncles, like, oh, that them one, they weren't just smoking cigarettes in 1992. Oh, you know, cause they didn't necessarily do that in front. I don't recall people snorting anything in front of me. I don't recall people shooting needles in front of me, even though I knew it existed, but that was TV, right? That was movies. Yeah, so very Absolutely. different. Yeah, but yeah, I definitely think I think you you could speak to the heart for sure of folks who had children young. And then there are a lot of people who have children young and they do the best they can do. That's the other pieces. Sometimes you just I'm doing what I know how to do. And that's that's what I have to offer, right? I think and I also like I'm saying hindsight 2020, but also with the foresight and where I'm at now in my career like seeing a lot of young parents just not understanding or knowing how to properly care for their children. Mm -hmm. um, what, it is, what does it mean to, to be a support to their child? Um, because ultimately they possibly, the reason why they possibly have the child is because they did not have support themselves mm -hmm. as children. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of like, interesting to see and understanding how things are developing for me personally based off of just how integral and how significant just the role of me knowing who my dad was and actually having him around and living in the house yeah. and you know what I mean so it it kind of like it's kind of like you are you're not 
just middle class. You, you the upper echelon part of the middle class in a sense. With, if we're talking about socioeconomic status, because you have this this something that everybody didn't have. Yeah, yeah. And everything shapes our being. That's something I'm learning. Like even in my 30s, I'm realizing like everything shapes your being, not just childhood. Childhood definitely does in a big way, but adolescence, teenage years, adulthood everything strings together for people which is why trauma is real which is why you know continued learning is so important like you said and even like thinking back to your bio the literacy piece literacy like you said goes beyond the classroom it's yeah you can only learn so much in a textbook life skills matter relational skills matter like if you can't communicate with people if you can't articulate advocacy or advocate for yourself in some ways, like, I don't want to get on a tangent. That could be a whole episode in itself. But like you said, everything shapes your experience. So having, even though it wasn't a perfect relationship, there was this piece of, well, my I had a dad in the home. So I did still see and learn something from that piece, even though there were some pieces missing there, you know, these kinds of things, but every, everything matters. And I know my therapist be getting a mouthful from me. Cause I'd be like, you know what? I just thought about when I was 12, and blah 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 blah. <laughs> like, right. how, how do you think that is impacting you now? Well, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> like now thinking about it, like you remember, so computers, we were one of the first families to have a computer on our block. Mm. We were one of the first family like to have an entire <laughs> encyclopedia Britannica set in our house. Yeah. So, like just think those are so it's so small. Things that we take from granted technology and stuff. Yeah. Like we had, I, we had AOL. I had an AOL email and I had to wait for the dialogue. Dialogue. I remember like, dialogue. Yep. <laughs> a, AIM Messenger. Like these were certain things that my father was like, my kids are going to have the best. And we did. So that's, that, that's also, yeah. This you don't have to. in a blaze because you know. You know every single time. You know your value. So can you tell us, does the impact of you and your father's relationship impede on you becoming a father in the future? Absolutely. Um, 150%. Um, even though my dad messed up and um, was not, uh, I don't want to say the best dad because he definitely was the best dad. He did the very best that he could while he was alive and on this earth. Um, I don't want to fail my child um, because certain feelings of abandonment, certain things that I feel like, man, you could have did this a little bit better, uh, but I still love you though. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like, it, it makes it, I mean, the best way that I can put it is it's like butter versus margarine, cooking with butter versus cooking with margarine and certain things just don't work out with margarine versus it working with butter. Mm -hmm. um, and me thinking about, um, and I know my wife was on here uh, talking about our experience with uh, having children, um, but just thinking about like, man, being a dad or, you know, I will, you know, just being a father, um, it kind of like, <laughs> 
it leaves me at a loss of words because I really am at a loss of words because it's kind of like, wow, I want to have children. I want there to be a legacy left behind. I don't want to raise them <laughs> the wrong way. I don't want to say the wrong thing to where that's the day that, you know, I break my children and now they they going down another path that was never intended for me. Um, so that's kind of like how that impedes my outlook for fatherhood. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, Stefan, you're going to be a great dad. Bishop, you're going to be a great, awesome dad. Da, da, da. And I'm like, that's 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 a, not another project that I'm going to have to work on because the zero tolerance of nonsense that I have, like I know children <laughs> come with all of all of the game. <laughs> like you gotta have some type of tolerance. Like you can't be like, no, go to bed. Then like, no, I don't want to give you a hug because you did X, Y, and Z. Like you can't, you can't uh, <laughs> hold back love to a child, like yeah, because they they made a mistake. Um, so that's something that I kind of like am dealing with in therapy, as well as you know talking to my great and wonderful wife um, and just, you know, developing our skill set on how we are going to uh, raise our children. Yeah, yeah. Big deals, right? Big, you bring, I mean, that question alone had me thinking like, ooh, even just around like having dead parents. Uh, like wanting to be a parent when you have dead parents, for me, it's, it's a struggle. non-existent, right? Like it's literally a struggle. It's like, why do I want to be a parent? Parents die. Like, like that literally goes through my head. And why would I want to in, in, in have my child go through the same thing that, that I went through? Right. Like, I don't want, like, granted, I'm living to 125. Oh. On the Lord's yeah. day. Okay, on the Lord. Because the Lord did say he's going to give us, what, seven and uh, seven and ten? However many years he wants to give me. That's I'm it. taking it. I'm taking it all. I'm going to take all the years, but God. But then what's going to happen with my kids? That part, that part. And then you also brought up a really, a really good point, I think, too, of like, you don't want to do the wrong thing. And right. That's the other thing about not only the, the spirituality part of like being a Christian, we know that God gives us choices. He gives us agency in things. Right. But right. then there's also this piece around not just agency and things, but there's also this piece around trying to influence it y'all my husband just crawled across this floor <laughs> and then he got up before he was out of the camera <laughs> what up, bro? <laughs> they just walked by just walked by, just walked by. <laughs> oh my goodness that was so funny i'm glad this is like so for those of you listening that don't get to see this audio i don't know if this audio i mean the finished visual will ever go come out but like <laughs> Oh my God, it was so funny because I like I saw him start crawling. But then he got up and he was still in the camera. And I'm like, he didn't really like, of course he didn't know, but that was just really funny because you really tried. <laughs> Thank you for trying. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, he said, hey, Stephan. Well, you heard him call. Y'all, they call we call him Bishop. So his name is Stefan, but we call him Bishop. So um we won't get into that. Well, we will. It's, it's his name. Bishop is his name. But y'all, I remember we were when I met Bishop in choir. And I think it was, I don't know if it was my mom or my best friend's mom. 
we were saying something and they was like, y'all just gonna talk like that in front of the bishop. And we was like, the bishop? We was like, this happened. Like, but because we call him bishop, people thought he was a bishop and it just was so funny. But um, anyway, okay, I'm pulling myself back together, but who I am probably gonna replay that little clip of my husband. A thousand times. Floor. Did you see him, Stephanie? Did you see him? I did. <laughs> Listen, you, you got to get what you got to get. When you got to get it. Y'all, I have a very supportive husband, okay? He, my husband is supporting my dream of this podcast. As you can see, he was trying to crawl so he didn't get in the camera. But anyway, back to what we were talking about with the whole kid thing um, and just really how, how our upbringing not only impacts it, um, but even like in adulthood, like I had an amazing upbringing, right? Like even though I was raised by a single mom, I think I had a phenomenal mom. I don't you I did. Can count on, you know, I can count on one hand how many woes I really, I could say were woes with my mom. Um, you know, of course we had tiffs and things like that. She was a mama, like any good mama you're going to get mad at because mamas protect, they do, you know, they do all these things, right? But then there's this other side of that, even though I had this great upbringing, even though I know I could do a lot of the things my mom did, I could maybe even do some things better, not because I am necessarily better, but I have a little bit more, like one, my mom, I'm married. I have a, a literal partner who could help me navigate, right? Raising children. I have to look at those kinds of benefits. My mom did her thing, but she had to do it alone. I don't have to do that, right? Home ownership. My mom never owned a home. We didn't bounce around a ton, but we bounced around enough that I realized that stability was not going to be a part of my childhood. Stability was my family structure. It wasn't my home. Whereas here, you know, I have a literal home that could create stability for my children. So just, and it, you know, even financially, two incomes, like lots of different things, right? I'm, well, at the time of my mom's death, we were equally educated, but my mom didn't get her master's degree until she was in her 50s. I got my master's degree in my 20s. So even just thinking about that, the sacrifices and the pushes that my parent, my mom made for me to, to excel and kind of push past where she was, um, even, do, even down to her driver's license. My mom didn't get a driver's license till she was in her 30s. She made sure I knew how to drive when I got to college. She was like, you don't have to get a car. She said, but you need to know how to drive. You need to, you need to be in safe situations and things like that. So, so thank you for sharing that because it once again is a reminder for me to think about all the reasons having kids could be a benefit, right? It's okay if I choose not to, but oftentimes I, I sit and I land that kids become a tough decision for me because I have dead parents. Like, and that's but, all I can think about. But the, another thing is another component. Let me add to this. I knew both sets of my great grandparents as well as my grandparents. Yeah. And then I had my parents. Ooh. So you talking about generations of yeah. people that I knew and so now they all gone. So so like when when they see pictures, they go through photo albums or, you know, I tell them like, you know, somebody asks or if my child sees, you know, my wife's dad and, you know, where's where's uh, my other granddad or something like that. It's it's going to be a conversation. And that, you know, that might break me like that might send me on a spiral. That's and I was just having a conversation with my wife at dinner, like not having those those different generations of family members present for me and my sister during our like being raised and upbringing kind of like 
it, it molded me as well because now I got the traditional, I got the old school, and then I got the old old school. Mm-hmm. So um, just being able to keep that legacy afloat, but also trying to figure out like how, how, when, and this is probably another, this is probably a pro or a positive as to why, you know, my parents had me at 23. They were able to have all of this support and all of this help. There's, there's the other part. That, that's the thing. That's the other side. Having kids young, right? It's that right. you usually, usually, not always, but you usually have more support than when you're a little bit older, even though when you're a little bit older, sometimes you might have more security yourself, but the support systems may look different. Um, and yeah, you just, Ooh, I'm gonna leave that alone because that gets me emotional. Just like, first of all, the beauty and you knowing multiple generations, right? Same. I I, I knew quite, I knew a couple of generations, but they faded fast, right? Like they faded real fast. Um, but whoa, like our children's experiences will be very different. And that and that's something I think as as millennials, as the generation that we are, we do have to realize, like a lot of us were sent on some of the same pathways. And I think because our parents, like a lot of our parents had similar experiences in terms of like, we talked a little bit about like the drug era. You know, they were teenagers in the 70s and, you know, 70s and 80s, they were like teenagers slash young adults. That was a big drug era, right? And then for us, many of us, were teenagers and young adults in the 2000s, the early to mid 2000s, and they were pushing college and education and all of that, which is why the structure looks very different, right? Our parents went to work, they was hanging out, they was having a fun, um, their parents were still around, all that. Our parents, you know, once it got to us, our parents was like, look, y'all gonna do better than we did. Like, I, I don't know any, what our parents are, what the baby boomers? I don't mm-hmm. know any baby boomer parents who is like, no, I did not try to make sure my child did better than me. All of them are like, yep, I was- You, you gonna be better than me and you go yep. do X, Y, and Z. Yep, you gonna, and, it, and that should be, that is kind of the flow, right? Each generation, I, I believe good parents want their children to do very well. And in a lot of ways better, right? You want more for your child, um, but I'm getting on a tangent. So I wanna come off of that tangent. Um, but yeah, like you just, you brought up some, some things that I, I feel like we might have to do an episode. I, maybe I'll bring a panel on one day, uh, to talk about the, the impact and the power of multi-generational legacy, right? Cause that's something a lot of people are on the stories. If you don't experience it, the stories are so important. You need somebody to tell you the story of your family, which is why family reunions are important. You know, picture albums, all of that stuff. Um, yeah. But anyway, let's we because we got I got about three more questions I want to get through uh, for this. So let's jump back into this. What would you say is one of the biggest things that you learned from your father? So I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try not to have a the quivering voice. Um, okay. Sorry. You're okay. That's what this space is for. I think one of the biggest things that I learned from my dad was just be authentic and be genuine. Um, and, and the thing that stands out for me is my dad had relationships with his high school best friends and um, the people he went to college because he did go to college for a short stint. Um, but he had relationships with those men who turned out to be, you know, in the black community, my play uncles, right? Um, and aunties. And just having a sense of community, you never want to leave yourself isolated um, and, and think that you're alone. Because honestly, I feel like 
my dad battled depression towards the end because he felt like he was alone. He felt like he didn't have anybody. Um, and he vocalized that to me personally. Um, and so just showing up authentic and true, even when people are not going to like reciprocate. Um, one, of the, one, of, one of the statuses that I put in my, like my, my IG story um, or thought today was um, you can't expect you from other people. Um, so like I may give you like $10,000 care to, because I love you and I want to see you prosper. You. Um, but that's, but the expectation of you giving me $10,000 is not saying that it wouldn't happen, but if we were strangers, it'd be like, this was a gift. He gave this to me. Why, why I got to give him, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and I think that some of the, some of the relationships that my father had, um, he kind of thought that temporary relationships and temporary people were long-term friends and long-term individuals that was supposed to be a part of his life to the end. And the same way he scratched somebody's back is not the same way that his back was scratched in turn. Um, so, but at the end of the day, what did he do? He still showed up and he still was authentic. Um, and so, and I'm gonna just put this out there because uh, we probably hang, we gonna have to have a hanging with the hitters episode. But one of the things that my wife has recently shared with me was that, um, one of the things that she loves about me is how thoughtful I am for other people. Mm. And it may not necessarily be returned or reciprocated for her, but, but she loves that about me. And that's kind of the same sense and purpose that my dad kind of thrived in was that he, one of the stories I remember from his funeral was that a guy should, came up and gave remarks and said that, you know, he took him to work every single day. Um, when he didn't have a car for about a year. That's crazy. Right. Like, and knowing that my dad, you know, this is probably, I was probably all gone off to college and in my adulthood, but just him doing that and waking up and doing that, or I remember my dad, this is a memory of my childhood, him cutting other people's yards, like going around cutting everybody's yard because he had the top of the line <laughs> mower and edger equipment you know well, he, was, he was showing out he, he was showing out but at the same <laughs> time he didn't just do his yard he did everybody right. else's on the block yeah yeah because he was also a community guy he cared about his community he cared about his neighborhood because to like our house that i grew up in was the house that my grandparents raised my dad and his brothers in so he took pride in his neighborhood so he loved he loved his house and he loved his neighborhood yeah. my mom and dad stayed around the corner from each other so that's that says it that says it all right yeah um yeah. but i think that's probably one of the biggest things is just being authentic and um just showing up for people even even if you don't get the the long end of the stick you know what i mean yeah so. yeah Ooh, we, because people, relationships are something. They're all different, right? So yeah, you bring up a great point. So let's think about the other side of that. What's one of the biggest regrets that you would say you might have? Because I am my father's son. 
my father was very stubborn. Um, and so, so I can say this without saying too much. Everybody remember the movie Soul Food. Everybody remember when Big Mama died um, and how we kind of broke the family. Well, my uncle, my dad's youngest brother, was killed back in 2001. And that kind of shattered the framework of our family. And then my grandmother passed in 2020. And it was, it was a wrap. It was all said and done. Um, but my father and I, in the last few years, were estranged because of infidelity and things of that sort. Um, and just the relationship was just damaged. Um, and so one of the biggest regrets was not following the voice of God sooner to repair that damage. Um, because like before my, I saw my dad two days before he passed. And so my dad passed two days after Christmas. So I saw him on Christmas day. However, my dad and I had been talking. We had been, you know, trying to work through things and trying to get everything, you know, tight between us. Um, and then, like, I saw my first dad in a minute. Like, I hadn't seen him since maybe the summer or the fall of that year. Um, and so seeing him, you know, he had his own health challenges and things of that sort. But that was the only reason that I would be called on because I would get phone calls from the hospital because I'm his uh, <laughs> next yeah. And they would be calling me like, hey, just want to let you know your dad's in the hospital. Um, this is what's going on. And so then I would kind of like pull up on him and then he would break down because when I say my dad was a man's man, he did not like to let people see him in a, in a very vulnerable position. And that's where the stubbornness comes from because like when I, when you had the beginning of this episode, when you're talking about me in a blazer and me, you know, serving and doing everything, I, I put on a very, very big shield and I don't necessarily allow my vulnerable times to show as much as I possibly should. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the biggest regret, just not repairing the relationship, uh, repairing the foundation of the relationship because we all know that we both know, even to this day, my dad come back and he'll be like, yeah, we had our issues, but I know he loves me. He knew that, but he knew that our time together, especially I had, I was transitioned into being a husband. Um, he knew that, that that also needed to work itself out and needed time. Yeah. So Yeah, we're going to have to do an episode on that because I definitely... The angry stage, right? When you had sick parents, people don't talk enough about that. How the angry stage, you start to think about, well, how long did you know you were sick? Wait a minute, you didn't feel that in your body? Like, ooh. and didn't know he was sick until it was like we knew he had something going on, but I didn't know fully until after. Yep, that piece, right? When you go ask for the medical records, and it's like, wait a minute, you was at the doc, you would have saw a specialist? on this day like but then you can't say nothing because they gone already like, you got all of this medicine like i literally sat one day bags. like bags and by like i literally sat and weeped over every like medicine bottle that i found like from my dad's stuff yep. because it, it 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 angered me in such a moment 
to the point to where I was like, you just thought that this, this, this westernized medicine was just going to fix everything and you was going to be okay. Like you didn't even at once think like, let me stop doing X. Let me stop doing Y. Let me stop doing Z. And let me try to get myself together. Stephen, why you bring up all this anger in me about, cause now you got me angry about my mom and I'm even angry about the stuff she didn't know. Cause it was like, you didn't ask enough questions. Like I get, oh, I done got mad again. Cause I did, I went through that phase of like, yeah, they said it was okay, but you still weren't feeling well. Like you went to the doctor three times in one month. They kept telling you the same thing. Why didn't you get another opinion? Why didn't you tell me? Like, and so- Why didn't you have me come to your appointment? Right. Why wouldn't you do that? Right. And like you said, the medicine bag, you just, you I almost flipped this, flipped this bar when you said the medicine <laughs> bag, because when I was cleaning out my mama's apartment, I said, she got a medicine drawer. She got medicine bags. She had a little rollaway suitcase that even had some medicine. So I started looking stuff up. I mean, half of them was like water pills and stuff. But I was like, why was your doctor constantly prescribing you water pills? And then you died with so much fluid in your body. My mom had over 40 pounds of additional fluid. They could not drain the fluid. That's why she, she drowned. Her organs drowned. But like that came to my mind of like, you let them people give you all them water pills. I don't know what water pills really do, whatever. But I was just like, she had bottles and bottles. And then there were other medications and stuff like that. And I'm just like, this, this sounds like the thing that if you didn't do this, you might've still been here. But I don't know. God, I always remember God's, God's journey is not my journey, but it doesn't, it doesn't allow us to skip over anger. Right. And, and no, some of the things you just shared definitely came up in anger for me. Um, and I know we're coming close to time. So I do, I want to wrap this up with one more question, if that's okay. That's cool. Um, the last one, you kind of just touched on it a little bit, but not fully. How and why would you say, or do you feel like your father didn't fight to stay in your life at, as an adult at this, like, why didn't he try to replicate the pieces that he did do in your youth? So, and I can just like, when I say, <laughs> it, it's, it's almost comical um, because my grandfather was a big on family events. My dad, same way. Barbecues, holidays, uh, my birthday is in the summer. So, and, and it's a week after the 4th of July. So it kind of, we always took a trip to Cedar Point for like a stint of like maybe six or seven years, um, all the way up until I became a teenager. Um, and my dad doing all of these things for us, for me, as for our family, uh, it's, it's almost like he gave up. and. He gave up, but then also he didn't know how to fight. He didn't know how to vocalize that he needed help. Because again, as I aforementioned, he was stuck and he didn't open up his mouth and say, I feel like he, once he realized, and I don't know, maybe, maybe this is God, maybe this is my ethereal Disney imagination <laughs> thought about it. But I honestly think that when he saw me on Christmas and he saw that I was okay and he saw that I was not necessarily put together, but in that stage and point of my life, he looked at me and he saw, he saw himself in me and he, 
it, it must have been he must have been fine. But the thing was, is that I regret not going back over there the next day because I was supposed to go over there the next day because my nephew had left gifts over his house. The coroner said he had to die, die he had to pass between Sunday night and that Monday morning. And so my dad never missed a day of work. He had perfect attendance. Some, something that I, I go to sick with, uh, with an IV bag. I, I do not miss work. I, that's something that's a trait that I got from my dad and my grandfather and my great grandfather because Hibbit men don't miss work. But that's that's kind of that's kind of one of the reasons why I think he didn't fight to stay. He I think he felt at peace. I will hope so. He just knew that we would be okay in his mind, in his thought. We not, I'm not, um, and I'm still working through it. But that's that's where where we at. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today and really sharing about your father and I, I really appreciate it hearing the ebbs and flows, right? Because a lot of people think that a relationship, it has to, it, it's going to go either straight up or straight down. And sometimes it doesn't, right? There are ebbs and flows to it. You have good years with people. Sometimes you have stints of rough times and, you know, situations happen, growth, um, stubbornness plays a role, you know, like, like you said, but I, I, throughout all of it, I still heard the appreciation and the respect you have for your dad. Um, I still heard so many gems of gratefulness, right, for him being your dad, even though his time was cut short, right? And um, so so I just want to say thank you for sharing that. And before I wrap us up with a quote, I just want to know if you have any word of advice for, especially to my men out there, um, to any of the men who might be listening who have some kind of a strange relationship with their father or they're trying to figure out something with their father, um, while they're still here among the living, um, do you have any advice? Um, the number one piece of advice is forgive and repair what can be repaired. Um, and then the second piece of, of advice is the doctors are not a scary group of people. They are here to help us and guide us to help to maximize the longevity of our lives. So please go get checked, go get your colons checked, go get your prostate checked, go get your hearts checked. Um, because right now I'm doing the work health-wise to make sure that I'm here for a long time because I want to see my great-great-grandchildren, right? I want to see all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, I'm down at 125. That's it. Um, and, and that's, that's get your health checked and please repair any relationships with the men in your life that need repairing. Mm -hmm. I want to reiterate the getting your health checked. And I used to joke and laugh at my husband because my husband would call the doctor for everything. And I didn't realize that that was not normal, that especially black men, I didn't realize men don't get, they don't take care of themselves in that way. Please make the phone call or or have somebody else hold you accountable. Tell somebody so they can hold you accountable um, because I do know several um, individuals who came to a close call. It They got real sick. And had they told somebody three months before, they wouldn't have ended up 
in the hospital. They wouldn't have ended up having to change their entire diet. They wouldn't have ended up having to do X, Y, and Z. And some would even still be alive. You are, I'm not even going to be funny. I know a young man who died at the age of 20 because he didn't go to the doctor. 20 years old. And a doctor's visit could have changed that. So... Uh, so I say that, say that um, I want to leave us with the quotes and this quote, I am going to have to explain it a little bit, but I'm going to just read it first. It's by unknown. The loss of a parent is never an easy thing, but the death of an absent or a strange parent may cause you to feel. And then there's a, an ellipses at the end of that. So that is for you all to fill in. It may cause you to feel whatever that feeling is. And I just want you to know that that feeling is valid. So I will leave space here if Stefan wants to share like how you can connect with them on social or, or an organization or anything um, that you want folks to connect with. Or if not, you know, we can end it right here too. Um, you can connect with me on Facebook at Stefan Bishop Pivot. Um, and you can find all of my other tags and all of the other social media platforms on Facebook, um, Stefan Bishop Hibbit, H-I-B-B-I-T, one T, um, as well as um, my wife has a her own coach life coaching company. So I am a part of that as well. It's called Bloom Coaching. Uh, look her up, look us up. Um, and uh, also we have our own podcast. It's called Hanging with the Hibbits. Um, we have some old episodes up but we are coming back fresh and new for you very, very soon. So those are all of the ways that you can connect with me. Um, and if you need prayer, prayer requests, you can do that as well. I'm here for all of it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I will make sure to link all of that information in the show notes as well. Thank you again for joining us. I had a great time talking to you. And to those of you who are listening, uh, I appreciate you all. I'm super grateful for you. And I will see you all in the next episode. And as always, I would love to give a shout out to Co Productions, who created our intro music. The song is called Still I Rise, which we absolutely love. Shout out to Kawan Monique Photography, who is the visionary and the person behind all of the photography that you see in association to the podcast. Of course, this podcast is self-produced currently by myself, so give me grace in this. I am really, really working on this. And if you are looking for a tool or a really awesome resource to put your grief down, down for moments at a time, check out the Here's Why I Grieve journal, which I published last year, and that is linked within our show notes as well. You can follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Today in Grief Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Today in Grief Pod. If you want to reach out to us, you can reach us at Today in Grief Podcast at gmail.com. All of these are also linked within our show notes. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating. Anything negative or challenging that you might have to say, go ahead and put that in the inbox. I can take it, I promise. Uh, but let's leave all the positivity on the outside and let's go ahead and put all the criticisms directly to who you want to talk to, which would be me. And I promise to respond. As always, I hope that you have enjoyed today's episode. I truly, truly uh, love you. I truly believe in you. I am excited for the healing that you are going to do and continue to come back here every Friday as we heal and hurt together on the Today in Grief podcast with Care Monique.